Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today, the Reserve Bank and the housing crisis. In the end, why should the Reserve Bank get dragged into the middle of the housing crisis when you know, it's only concerned about interest rates and money and credit and stability of banks? RNZ's business editor Giles Beckford tells the detail about the role of the bank and why it's been caught up in a political storm. It's been dragged in because it was the innocent bystander at the scene of the crime and everybody goes, oh, it looked like him. The stout is over the bank's latest move to pump $28 billion into the economy through cheap loans to banks. It's come at a time when out-of-control house prices are rising higher. Auckland's runaway housing market has bolted past an alarming milestone. The median price has hit $1 million for the first time. The national median has also risen almost 20%, and some smaller cities are rising quicker than Auckland. It's great news if you're a homeowner, but if you're trying to get into the market, downright distressing. The Reserve Bank's being blamed for helping boost those prices with the cheap loans that make low-interest loans even easier to get for investors. We have a Reserve Bank that is engaged in the most unconventional monetary policy since Robert Muldoon was in charge. Ex-David Seymour is one of its biggest critics. The Reserve Bank's irresponsible approach to liquidity of the New Zealand dollar is inflating asset bubbles. It is meaning a generation of young people watch the future get further away from them as a result. And that is a recipe for political dissatisfaction and unrest. And everyone's climbing into it, from politicians to economists. You've got to step back and look at the bigger picture here. Was the Reserve Bank right to go pretty big and bring out the bazookas as we headed into COVID-related lockdown? Um, The answer is yes. The National Party says the Reserve Bank's plan to pour $28 billion into the financial system needs to be rethought. The opposition finance spokesperson Andrew Bailey has argued that the money will likely add fire to an already screaming hot property market and that ultimately the winners will be property investors. This is a recipe for disaster, and they are asking for political intervention. We've seen the opposition finance spokesperson already talk about this, and I'm really fearful because we want the Reserve Bank to be independent, Mm. but it needs to do its job well. National has called for you specifically to, quote, rein in the Reserve Bank. Is that something that you're going to consider doing? That seems a significant departure for a political party in New Zealand to move away uh, from what has been long-term consensus around a separation between politicians and the Reserve Bank. The business leaders... The risks, I guess, of doing nothing do actually outweigh the heat we're seeing in the housing market. The clearly stated purpose of it is to provide you know, cheaper funding costs for, as I said, businesses and consumers, and I think that's important right now. And the Reserve Bank Governor himself is having a say. We are aiming directly on our mandate. Uh, we are sitting there as global best practice. Uh, we are doing nothing that any other central bank is, um, is not doing. So should we just go back to the beginning? What exactly is the Reserve Bank? Well, it's our central bank. It's the bank 
that lends to all the other banks, if you say. The, it, it is the bank's bank, so to speak. Uh, it came about uh, in the mid-30s. Uh, New Zealand didn't have a central bank at that stage. Currency, for instance, was issued by the trading banks of the day in their own name. So if you're a coin or note collector, you can actually find still uh, New Zealand one and two pound notes uh, in the name of the Bank of New Zealand or, or some such. But in the end, Britain pressured Australia and New Zealand in the early 30s, saying it's time for you to stand on your own two financial feet uh, and you should have something like the Bank of England, something that issues a currency that is officially recognised through the whole country, uh, that organises the finances and the trading behind the scenes for the banks, uh, and that's one of its primary functions. In due course... That scope, uh, those duties got expanded and progressively over the decades, of course, it's got into not just looking after bank credit, ensuring that they have money to to deal with, uh, that they can settle their deals using the Reserve Bank, but of course into controlling interest rates and you know looking at key aspects of the economy. Although it would never claim to be a primary economic management agency, say such as Treasury. Is it the the place that keeps all the money that then goes out to all the different banks? Well, it's the means by which the money gets funneled between the banks and by which they settle their own dealings. And remembering that a lot of it actually is just paper transactions. It's just entries in digital logs and accounts these days. The banks themselves are the ones who create much of the money within our economy because they're giving credits. Uh, and in return for that, they're holding assets as security. Uh, they're borrowing, whether it be government bonds or they're issuing their own bonds and raising money on money markets overseas. So the Reserve Bank itself, it's the oil, should we say, uh, for the wheels of uh, the economy. They have two overriding mandates. One is to keep inflation down and they, uh, at a certain target, which they agree with the government. Currently, that's around 2%. Well, we haven't been within cooey of 2% for quite a while, but that's one of the reasons uh, for the official cash rate. Uh, and the other, which was added when Labour came in in uh, 2017, was to give it an instruction to try and maximise employment. But the Reserve Bank says, well, those are our two prime jobs. Of course, one of the actions the Reserve Bank is most associated with is the movement of the official cash rate, the OCR. That's the base or wholesale lending rate that the Reserve Bank charges all the other banks for borrowing money. And those commercial banks add a bit of a margin, and that's how mortgage or other loan rates are decided. It's better for the economy if interest rates are low. So that leads us to money printing. Oh, yes, pump priming, money printing. Uh, it's basically the Reserve Bank standing in the market. They call it LSAP, Large Scale Asset uh, Programme. Uh, you know, central banks are just riddled with acronyms. Um, but essentially, they're standing in the market. They're buying bonds, uh, government bonds, on the secondary market at certain rates. It's their way of putting pressure on wholesale rates. So they're figuring that they can drag down the cost of money. The aim of it, uh, and it was basically uh, an invention of uh, the Federal Reserve and other central banks after the global financial crisis, uh, what, 2008, 2009. And it was their way of trying trying to ensure that there was cheap money flowing through 
the economies. Of course, when the pandemic hit, it was a case of saying, let's throw anything and everything that we can. So they came up very quickly with this uh, LSAP programme. Um, but that's their way of actually pump priming, getting money into the banks and keeping pressure on wholesale rates, downward pressure on them so that there's enough cheap money for the banks to lend on to businesses and households. And when we say cheap money, we mean uh, very low interest rates. Which is... We are indeed. We're talking rock bottom. And they're trying to get them. For instance, you, know, you can get uh, 10-year money for uh, on the wholesale market, what, 1% or something like that. So, I mean, that, that's as cheap as chips uh, in the current environment. Uh, and it's, it's all predicated on saying if there's cheap money, then banks will lend. If there's cheap money, then businesses and households will borrow. And that money going through will then promote economic activity. Right, which leads me to the next question. Why do we constantly hear house prices and the Reserve Bank mentioned in the same story. Is that because the Reserve Bank has some kind of control over house prices? Nope. And the Reserve Bank, right back to uh, Alan Bollard when he was the governor of the Reserve Bank, so that's going back 10 years or more, they've always just stood on the sidelines saying, we don't want to get involved in this. We don't control house supply. All we can do is try and influence the cost of money for the people who are doing those activities. But it's a bit like them being the sort of the bystander at a, at a crime and everybody turns and says, oh, look, it was them. And the fingers get pointed at the Reserve Bank. It is time to identify the personality of the current Reserve Bank governor as a liability because he is a risk-taker, I think in his own mind a visionary, and yet he is doing unconventional things uh, that are actually quite perilous and are not new ideas, but actually old ideas that have failed in a costly way before. And Adrian Orr's got increasingly grumpy about it. Uh, I would love people to lift their chins a little bit and look further forward than talking about the excitement of house price markets. You know, the New Zealand economy still has massive changes ahead. Unemployment is high and rising, inflation is low and, and too low, and we have uh, much uh, work to do around resource allocation. So as exciting as the housing price story is for clickbait, it's not the main story for the country. So the bank has been criticised about its latest $28 billion funding for lending programme, which is what, Giles? Well, funding for lending program is an another way of actually pumping cheap money into the economy, getting those interest rates down. The way it is being constructed, the Reserve Bank will lend to uh, the retail banks a certain amount based on the securities that they have on their books, the assets that they hold as security. And that will be probably at the level of the cash rate, so at 0.25%. Once again, it's really cheap money. Uh, and the banks will then be encouraged to lend that uh, cheap money to households and to businesses for them to spend uh, and for people to consume. Once again, getting liquidity through the economy, uh, promoting activity. Well, the Reserve Bank says, look, no strings attached. Right. We're not going to dictate how you lend that money. We expect you to be sensible. But the banks are the ones who are geared to make the necessary credit decisions. So banks you know, uh, should be 
uh, working very hard to ensure that the money goes out the door is capable of coming back under a wide range of economic outcomes. They know their customers. They know the broader shape of the market. They're the ones who are best suited to make the judgments about whether you or I uh, are good credit risks and uh, whether you know, we should be able to borrow from them. But uh, with no strings attached, of course, the banks are free to lend it for whatever activity they want as long as they're convinced that they're going to be, be paid. Yeah, and the worry is that, that that money is going towards property speculation. It, it, that it, the... it's, a nut, it's another can of petrol on the housing fire. It's going to pour a huge amount of fuel in the housing market. That's independent economist Shamabil Jakob. The Reserve Bank is completely out of touch with what's happening in New Zealand right now. They're asking for trouble because we know that right now what is happening is there is a huge amount of lending that's going on in the economy, but it's only going to buy and sell houses from each other. The Reserve Bank says, well, look, um, in some jurisdictions where they've had these programmes, they have put conditions on them, and the more conditions you put on them, the less likely people are to take up the scheme. The banks will become fairly reticent about it because they don't like uh, the conditionality of it. It means you've got to have you know, some complicated systems uh, in the background which uh, make decisions and tallying up uh, you know, the accounts and the, the, the credit risk and the like. And the Reserve Bank says, look, here's the DOSH, here's the rate, you want it. If you've got the assets to back the amount that uh, we lend you, then, then go for it. And uh, they say nice and simple will mean that the cheap money flows through the economy more yeah. easily. I don't know. I just, I'm at the point now, Giles, where I'm thinking, where is the bank's responsibility in all of this, the individual bank's? The individual banks are really, it comes down to them. And the way that uh, Adrian Orr very early on when the pandemic hit said, I expect the banks to be courageous. Now, he never really defined what he meant by <laughs> courageous. Yeah, does that mean you take a bigger risk than you normally do? Uh, well, of course, the banks were being squeezed. They're facing hundreds of millions of dollars of bad and doubtful debts. You know, we look at the results that have come through in the past uh, month or so, and probably the main banks between them have somewhere in the region of a billion dollars set aside to cover what might be loans uh, that will fall over. That's right, a billion dollars. BNZ is putting aside $300 million, Westpac $320 million, ANZ $400 million. You get the picture. And all of this off the back of much lower profits. But you've got to say it does come down to the banks. You know, how courageous are they going to be? And also... They're, they've got an eye to their, their bottom line and to their shareholders. And although they can't pay dividends at the moment because the Reserve Bank has stopped them, um, they're thinking about, well, the cheaper the money, the more our margins get squeezed. Mortgage lending is, is just bread and butter for banks. Right? That's where they earn their dosh. Mm. And from that point of view, you know, they stick with what they know. If you've got one product line or one service line that does you very nicely financially, well, you're not going to stop it, are you? No. And hence the, and hence the banks aren't going to give up lending to people who want to borrow for houses. When the Prime Minister was asked about intervening in the Reserve Bank's independence... Now, what what you you specifically to, quote, rein in the Reserve Bank? Is that something that you're going to consider doing? That seems a significant departure for a political party in New Zealand to move away uh, from what has been long-term consensus around the separation between politicians and the Reserve Bank. So 
to make that I'd call. say that that is concerning. There's very good reason we have those separations. Um, we learnt some hard lessons uh, as a country several decades ago, and we haven't forgotten those. What did she mean by that? Well, back in the 70s and 80s, of course, when Robert Muldoon was Prime Minister and Finance Minister, uh, it was almost a command economy. And so uh, they were ruling out of the beehive, uh, you know, directly into the way uh, the Reserve Bank acted and uh, the way trading banks uh, were able, and finance companies also were acting, heavily regulated. There was always the hint, of course, that there was political influence in there, and that uh, was behind a lot of the key decisions or some important decisions being made. Getting back to this talk around the Muldoon era, of course there was the infamous wage price freeze then, which was an attempt to control inflation. It was. This is 1982 or thereabouts, and there'd been a, an international oil shock in Egypt, so prices had gone up, and once again, Western economies were in the gun for that. But it was an era of high inflation, and when I say high inflation, we're talking 14 or 15 percent annual inflation rate. Well, Robert Muldoon, of course, as the uh, chief commissar of finances in the government, uh, he tried to basically outlaw it, so he instituted the, wise, the wage price freeze. So prices were frozen or could only rise uh, at a certain rate, they had to be, and those, some of those price rises had to be uh, cleared. Wages were frozen or were, any rises were tied to uh, certain uh, indices. It was, in the end, just building up a head of steam which burst in a spectacular way. And in the end, the economy was, uh, it wasn't growing, high inflation. Labour came in in the uh, mid-1984 election and almost immediately just stepped in and threw a lot of things out the window. There was a devaluation of the currency. A lot of those rules came out. As we well know, that was the era of Rogernomics, where deregulation of the economy uh, was the name of the game. And that, of course, is what led in due course to the move to take some of these key monetary decisions uh, that would affect the interest rates and the running of the economy out of the hands of the politicians into uh, an independent body, and that was the uh, birth of the Independent Reserve Bank. From there on in, as we've uh, discussed earlier, the move towards inflation targeting. And, of course, the policies were all aimed at getting inflation down from double digits down to this around 2% uh, target zone that we now have. Of course, the problem for central banks around the world is that having got it down so low... How do you get it back up? And that's one of the drivers, of course, for all the uh, decisions that we now see in the policies that are in place. It just, it just cannot keep increasing at the rate that it is. We have to accept, though, that only a few months ago, people were talking about the potential collapse of the housing market. That hasn't happened, but we need to address what is happening, which is extra heat in that market. You don't want it to go up, don't want it to go down. Well, no. One of, the, one of the complexities here is that actually, of course, when we look at those median prices, we have had historically a market where we haven't been building affordable houses. You know, we've been building large houses, sometimes on large pieces of land. That's not what our first-home buyers are looking for. We've worked very hard to try and change up the market. We have to keep doing that. But actually, it's not going to be one thing. There's going to be a range of initiatives that this market needs. Does this really boil down to the fact that we just don't have enough houses? Well, you would think so, because it's a case of the basic law of supply and demand. Too few houses, and you know, that's sort of shown up by the number of houses being offered for sale. 
the inventory, so to speak. It's down at uh, multi-year lows, uh, you know, the likes that hasn't been seen for close to a decade or more. There's been a shortage for some time, which we've been scrambling to catch up on, just thinking of some of the constraints that there have been. You know, people blame local body zoning and the red tape that goes with building consents, uh, the way that that gets in the way of uh, housing developments. Land bankers, people who just sit on idle land uh, in the expectation that they'll make a reasonable capital gain. Uh, obviously, in recent years, there has been an influence from uh, migration inflows, but you know, where we were having, say, 50,000 net gain, forty or 50,000 net gain a year some years ago, well, in the past six months, we've had a net gain of just, just over 2,000. So we'd have to say that that's a diminishing influence on it. The role of the state in this uh, and the number of state houses, well, you know, a decade or so ago, state houses were being sold off and a lot of the stock was in poor condition. They're scrambling to catch up to provide social housing. So I don't think we can always just say there's any one reason. I think it's a combination of reasons. You know, some of it is cost, some of it is the ability to, to get the, the finance, uh, some of it is uh, the influence perhaps of, of rents and interest rates, but you know, it's a big melting pot. The upshot is, of course, that regardless of what you want to pin your finger on, we don't have enough houses to satisfy the demand. And that's not the Reserve Bank's fault. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so other people can find us too. This episode was engineered by Ari Vanderpol and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Giles Beckford. Kakite anō. Thank you.